Hi, my name is Derek Schneider, and I own Visiting Angels in Wichita Falls, Texas, and Lawton, Oklahoma. This podcast is called Addressing the Elephant because I believe it is better to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to aging well. So each episode, I'll invite someone that has a ton of experience about an issue or topic that relates to elder care, which is a topic that if you live long enough, we'll all have to face. I hope you really enjoy. I wish I found you a long time ago. We could have taken it easy, could have taken it slow. And passed our old lives like a sweet summer day, like waves on the water watching time. Hey, my name is Derek, and we are addressing the elephant today, and I'm here with Lori Wendell. Lori Wendell um, is an RN, and she's been with Hospice of Wichita Falls for 17 years, and she is now working at a personal assistance service company called Visiting Angels. She's been doing that as an administrator for two years. So uh, it's a small introduction for Lori. I just Tell me more. How did you get started? Good morning. Um, So I've been in the healthcare field for so many years, uh, most of my life, really. And uh, it didn't really hit home until my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer. And we had to take her home and figure out how to take care of her. And none of my family was prepared for that. But hospice came in and helped us navigate through that world. And it really made an impact on me and and on my life. Mm. One of the very last things that my grandmother said to me was that she wanted me to go back to school and be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And I had never really thought about that. Um, And I told my granny, gosh, granny, I have a job. I really don't need to do that. But what was your job before? um, I worked as a office manager for a chiropractor and it was a great job. I worked Monday through Friday and I loved um, the people I worked with and got to make a difference in people's life, help them, you know, not be in pain and those kind of things. So it, it worked well for me. But my granny said that, and um, I thought really hard on it. And, you know, when you make a promise to somebody on their deathbed, I Mm. felt like I had to honor it. Mm. Um, I tried not to for a little while, but it kept kind of nagging at me. And so I finally had a conversation with my husband, and then we set my children down and said, life that we know it is fixing to change because mom's going back to school. So I quit my job, and it was a huge leap of faith. Um, because we lost my income. Yeah. Um, but we uh, prayed hard about it and made it happen. So um, I went um, back to school. And so while I was in school, about halfway through, I kind of qualified as a home health aide. Mm. And so I saw a job at hospice in the newspaper. And so I called them. First time they said no, kind of mm. broke my heart. But then... Um, I called back. They might have been desperate. I'm not sure. But um, I called again a few weeks later when the ad was still in the paper, and they hired me. Um, And so that's how I started started my nursing career was at hospice as a home health aide. And um, So what did you do as a home health aide at hospice? In what role, what capacity were you doing? Well, because I was still in school, so um, I had to talk or had limited hours. So I was in school all day, so I would um, work in the inpatient center as the home health aide. Um, As being a home health aide at hospice, they don't hire very many because I was not licensed. Um, But I was able to work in the inpatient center because I had oversight. And so um, I would go to school. 
And then I would change at the subway on the expressway, <laughs> change into my um, hospice attire and go work at hospice that night. Wow. And I did that for quite a while until I graduated. And then I was the very first LVN that hospice hired. Um, I had to beg for it. I had to go in front of the board and talk to them why I really wanted to do it. But I knew once I stepped foot in hospice, I knew that that was where I needed to be. Yeah. It, um, it uh, made my heart happy. Yeah. I remember talking to different people in school while we were going to school and everybody had where they wanted to be, whether they wanted to be in labor and delivery or pediatrics and stuff. And I was like, no, I want to be a hospice nurse. Even my teachers tried to discourage me from it because they said, oh, you don't want to do that until later. You you know, it's going to be too hard. Mm. But I loved it. It sounds funny when I say it or odd that I loved what I did. I loved being able to make a difference in people's lives, whether it was our patients that were passing away or working with the families and helping them navigate through the world and through such a difficult time. Every night I was able to go home and lay my head down knowing that I did good work for the day. Sure. Made a huge difference. So you, uh, from a home health aide, you're an LVN, and then um, then you became uh, a nurse, a registered nurse. Yeah. And so, um, so talk to me about that transition and, you know, your time and what role capacity was it still in the inpatient center or were you out in the field in homes? Well, actually, while I was once I became an LVN and I worked in the inpatient center for a while, then Hospice of Wichita Falls was very innovative. And so they had started a program to have LVNs out in the field. And so we were the first um, first LVN that was gotcha. um, okay. out in the field taking care of patients in their yeah. homes. And that was, you know, I. When I look back, it's hard for me to say what was my favorite part because yeah. each part meant so much to me. Yeah, uh, being able to go into somebody's home in their environment and and they invited me into their lives and it made such a difference yeah. to be able to take care of them in their home and where they wanted to be. Most of the clients, that's where they wanted to be, and you know we could you know, that um, rearrange their living room so we could get their bed in there and so they could still be a part of the family. Wow. And, you know, still have meals with their family yeah. and, and and be there with all the things around them that they, they loved and um, made them feel comfortable and peaceful sure. and happy. Yeah. So you, you spoke about uh, hospice, you know, at the time was – you know, was doing innovative work or something about innovation. What what were some of the things that they were doing that made it, it possible that was like so innovative at that time? Well, one of the things was adding LVNs in the home care program gotcha. because they weren't allowed um, for, well, I don't know if they weren't allowed. They had just, hospices had never done that before. Okay. And Understood. so they found a way to utilize um, LVNs. Mm. So LVNs have a big part in what we do today in today's world. Totally. Um, so, um, we were able to push that through and then hospices around, um, Texas started doing it because we did it and it worked very well. Um, but while I was doing it, you know, I still thought, you know, I'm not quite finished with, uh, how I wanted my career to be. And so started going to RN school and, you know, I was very blessed that hospice worked around my schedule and was able to do RN school. (sighs) It's hard work, but I was um, glad I got through it. Hmm. So from there, once I got my RN, 
you know, is still able to work with uh, patients and their families. But while I was actually going to school, I kind of forgot about this, but I worked as a um, nurse in a alcohol and uh, drug treatment program, hmm. um, which I didn't know that. Yeah, it was it was um, I did that for a couple of years on the side. Yeah. Uh, and it made a, a big difference in my life. You know, that gave me the opportunity to t- kind of take care of the less fortunate and help people again make a difference in their lives, uh, talk about different choices and uh, life events and how to navigate through this sometimes ugly world. Yeah, man, goodness. So um, at your time at hospice, what, you know, if you, if you could kind of pinpoint just some maybe memorable takes or memorable moments, like why is it so important to, for, for, for whenever one is, uh, aging and this is inevitable sort of situation for everyone. It's like, we're never going to miss this. It's like, this is it for everyone. Uh, that's written on the, on, 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 you know, on everybody's, um, you know, it's all for us, everybody. And so it's going to happen. So how do we, you know, um, if you were to explain what hospice was doing, uh, how would you explain uh, the importance of that? You know, I think the the biggest piece is the families. You know, most times, even like with my grandmother, my grandmother knew she was going to pass. Yeah. And um, it was the rest of the family that had to be on board and be okay with it. And okay doesn't mean that, yeah, I'm happy that granny passed. Mm. It's, you know, having that peace and knowing that you have um, – mended hearts or that you have been able to bridge gaps in your relationship that you've been able to say I'm sorry or able to say I love you those different things that you know we we kind of take for granted until all of a sudden somebody's dying you're like oh my god I don't want that to be the last memory they have of me yeah or um so so being able to minister to the families and I did feel like it was a ministry to me yeah but to be able to um talk to them and help them understand and help them walk through this journey um you know as difficult as it was it was so rewarding to be able to do it now i couldn't do it forever and that's kind of why i um, had to back out of it you know i did it for 17 years and loved every minute that i did but it does take a lot out of you it takes a lot out of your heart and you have to be able to feed your heart back which i did over the years and um like i said i would never Never change any of that that I did because I thought it was um, such a blessing to me. I really got more out of it, I think, than my patients and families. Yeah. And I remember so many people and so many stories of um, just different things. And they just mean so much to me. I will never forget them. I have a box that I keep at home. Oh, yeah. That's kind of like my memories box from hospice because I would Mm. get cards and stuff from different families um, once they had passed. I still to this day can be in United Market Street and a family member will recognize me from 10 years ago as I took care of somebody. That's awesome. So those people will remain in my heart forever and ever. What would you say is one of the most impactful things that um, one can do for their loved one whenever they're uh, starting, they get this diagnosis, they get this treatment plan that says, okay, you are, you, you're considered to be on hospice because your life expectancy is six months or sooner. 
what would you say the number one thing is at that very moment for families? If they're hearing this, what, what would you tell them? You know, I will, most people, number one, they don't want hospice. You know, nobody wakes up in the morning and say, oh, this is a great day for hospice. Yeah. And so getting families and patients on board that hospice doesn't mean that you're going to die in the morning, that, you know, you can live. I mean, we, we don't have a crystal ball. Right. So you can live six months, 12 months, years. So, um, you know, that's not anybody tell, else's call. Tell me why that, why that is, why that, um, because we hear this a, a lot. I, I know in my story, like my dad, he had COPD and emphysema began on hospice. And that was like, he was on and off. So help, help folks that maybe not know what hospice is, why, what hospice is doing and what's different. Uh, from a medical standpoint and why some people uh, some have a little bit of improvement? Well, you know, I think that um, some people start improving because hospice starts with hands-on care. And, you know, many of these these clients or patients are maybe they've um, been in their home alone and haven't been eating right, haven't um, been up and about, haven't yeah. had a lot of interaction. You know, we live in a very mobile society now and, Families are not all just next door and real available. You know, uh, husbands and wives are working and, you know, uh, life is busy these days. So they may not be checking in on their um, mom or dad or grandmother as often, not in a bad way, but it's just the way it goes. And um, when hospice comes in, they start bringing in, you know, nurses and um, CNAs and social workers, chaplain. And so these people start getting all this one-on-one attention and care. And I think they start improving, you know, the power of touch. I think we talked about it one day is phenomenal. You know, just being able to hold somebody's hand for a little while when, um, you know, when they're, you know, saying their morning prayers or whatever Mm. and being with them or, you know, sitting down and having a meal with them is, um, you know, life changing for people. You know, a lot of people don't eat because they don't want to eat by themselves. And so that's one of the things that hospice, uh, the beauty of it is that, you know, maybe a CNA comes and she's, that's her only focus or him. That's her only focus for, you know, an hour or so. And so maybe she can sit down with them and have lunch with them Mm. and, or sit out on the back porch and just look at the birds and, enjoy the fresh air. And so those are things that maybe, you know, someone that's been living by themselves maybe hasn't had a, the desire to do that. So they do improve. They start eating and start enjoying life again. Maybe yeah. their families are coming a little bit more and yeah. you see people kind of perk up and uh, something about not being alone, right? Yeah. Mm. Um, being alone is, is, is hard. And some, some patients will do that just, you know, it's kind of like animals when they get sick and they start um, kind of secluding themselves. You know, I think patients do that too. But um, if we can go in there and and be a part of their life and kind of bring them out of that, you know, kind of depression or just that. Yeah. Um, have that dark cloud looming over your head. Sure. So, you know, people can come in, bring them out and start living again. Yeah. You know, I, I love that movie, The Bucket List. Mm where, you know, you can make make memories happen. I will tell you uh, one story. It's one of these important stories for me for hospice. Yeah. I had a patient that can't remember what can what kind of cancer she had, but she was doing a little better. And so her one of her desires 
um, or her bucket list is she wanted to put her feet in the sand um, in the ocean. So her family planned a big trip to Galveston and all of the grandkids and everybody were going to be there. Well, like the day before they were supposed to leave, um, the mom declined. Mm. And so she wasn't able to travel. And so she was at the hospital um, because she got really sick, went to the hospital. And so they weren't able to make that trip. So hospice um, brought the beach to her. Mm. And it was, we had a huge beach party. I climbed up the rafters at Walmart and found pink sand um, that you put in a sandbox. And um, we had sand. We had some of the volunteers baked uh, cakes and pies. And Mm. we had all these kind of uh, beachy kind of things. We played music. Jimmy Buffett was playing. And Mm -hmm. we all wore lays. And um, that day, um, when we did this, and so many people played a part in it, um, not just hospice. We kind of rallied a lot of people together. And that day, she was able to, um, she kind of perked up, yeah. woke up, um, and she was able, we made a little basket or a bowl of sand. And so I, I still have these pictures of her granddaughter and her with their feet in the sand. Mm. And we um, made strawberry daiquiris. Wow. And she's um, like alcoholic I, ones or like, no, they were not. Um, <laughs> but that would have been a good thing. Cause been better. Yeah. When I gave her, I remember giving her that strawberry daiquiri and she told me, she's like, this is the best daiquiri I've ever had. Yeah. And she was so happy. And her family was so happy. We took so many pictures of her and her family. And it was, it was just amazing that we were able to do it. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, shortly after that, she passed away. But the family will have those beautiful memories. Mm-hmm. Her little granddaughter was six at the time. And um, she had a beautiful memory of her grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, her grandmother was real important to her. She picked her up from school every day. And so her and her six-year-old granddaughter had a really uh, strong bond. Yeah. And so this way, she was able to have a, a happy memory that she can keep with her forever. Yeah. Instead of you know, being hooked up to tubes and not being able to talk to her and and just not have that moment. So she sat up in her bed, put their feet in the sand and drank daiquiris. That awesome. was precious. But yeah, a few days um, later, she passed away. That's awesome. So, you know, this is something like, you know, you know, probably like my simple mind or whatever, but like that I think of time, a time again or whatever. And just because of the industry that we're in is, you know, uh, you know, I've mentioned my, my dad passed away and um, I was not present whenever that happened. My grandpa's also passed away. I've had an uncle pass away. All those things never was present. But I would imagine you've been present when someone has like passed away, died, um, ended their life. Talk to me about like that experience, that moment in time, what that is what it looks like what it feels like all of that and i know that's like kind of like a man that's a hard question is but i but i think it's an important one that no one talks about and that's kind of the point of this it it, it is you know and i think about all the different and i've i've been present for a lot of deaths but it's also you know in hospice there's a saying of a good death Mm. and which sounds very like oxymoron yeah it is yeah but a good death is when you have time to prepare the families, yeah. prepare them for what's going on, help them, 
you know, come to some sort of um, okayness. Um, you know, not that they're going to be happy that their loved one is leaving, but but they understand and they're watching and they they realize that they don't want their loved one to suffer anymore. But during that moment is it's a precious time. You know, it's kind of like walking on hollow ground because, um, you know, to me, it's a very spiritual thing. Yeah. Um, you know, others may think differently, but it's, right. you know, you're in the presence of of amazing things because, you know, I believe that when somebody takes their last breath that, you know, God and the angels take them away. Yeah. And so it's a special time. Yeah. And and, and especially if um, it's a good death and the yeah. families are sad, but they're glad that their loved one's no longer suffering. Yeah. Mm. So hard to talk about and so hard to like, you know, get ourselves in those moments. But I, I think it's an important like conversation that just people just don't have often enough. Um, think about it time to time again, but just don't think about it often enough. And um, kind of this is, that's the goal of this is just to kind of like, man, if we can have conversations about, you know, the elephant in the room, you know, uh, if, if you will. And um, I think that's, it can be important for folks. Well, it is because so many people, even, even with our business now with visiting angels, you know, people tend to wait until the last minute to call. Yeah. And um, there's so many benefits by calling earlier. Um, it, we can make such a difference, whether it be hospice when you call earlier to have that um, hands-on care and be able to reap all the benefits that hospice has to offer, or even calling like visiting angels to be there earlier and make a difference in these people's lives, you know, to get them out of that little depression or that funk that they're in, you know, yeah. to start having meals with them, get them to where they want to eat again, want to have lunch with somebody yeah. You know, go down to McDonald's and have coffee and get out of the house. Um, that's always been a thing that people say have said to me in the past with hospices. They wish they'd have called sooner. They'd have wished that they would um, made the decision earlier. But it's such a scary thought. Like I said, nobody gets up in the morning and thinks, oh, this is a great day to do this. Yeah. You know, it's you, you have to think about it. And it's important for families to talk about it. You know, even if you are the patient, it's important to talk to your family yep. about it so they understand your needs and your wishes and your desires. So, yep. what, you know, if something happens, you've got somebody else taking care of your life. That's right. And you want to be able to navigate it your way. Yeah. So uh, this is another, you know, um, kind of elephant in the room thing, you know, a topic. In, and the topic is whenever I go into homes, Often I smell urine. Okay. I smell it all the time. Um, and I just wonder like, you know, as a, in the hospice field and all these different, like, obviously there's, there's, there's ways in which that they're, you know, incontinence care should be done on a daily basis, but tips that one can give to somebody that can help them. Uh, can you, can you give those, those? Oh, I don't know. I have to think about that. Um, you know, that's a big problem with people. And then, you know, if you can smell it, that means that the client can smell it. Yeah. And they are probably embarrassed. And, mm. um, you know, that also leads to their decline because yeah. they just start feeling like they're not worthy, that they mm. should not have care 
or they don't want to have people in their home because they know that they're going to smell it. And so, um, and I don't know how to, what to do except to do it to um, somebody to be involved in their care. And, you know, that's part of that dignity. You know, nobody wants to smell bad. Right. And, um, but it, but it happens. And so, you know, we've, we've got as a society, we need to figure out how to, how to help that. You know, our healthcare system is kind of in the toilet right now. And, you know, it's going to, it relies on us and other um, agencies and families to make those things not happen so often. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, um, I think that you and I, we kind of have the same heartbeat in terms of, um, you know, we deal with this this population that is no different than um, our friends that, uh, that we get coffee from. Uh, they just happen to be elderly and they are in a decline aging state, but they matter a lot and they have value. And our goal is to give them dignity and to talk about these like strange conversations um, so that when families deal with, um, um, deal with this, um, they're ready and prepared and they have words and verbiage to say and, 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 and what to expect. Right. It's like the most challenging thing to do. Um, so, um, so as we kind of close, tell me, um, just, you know, tell me a funny story that you encountered at hospice or in any, (laughs) in any, in your healthcare field. Oh gosh. I probably have so many funny ones. I'll say one, we might have to edit it out, but it was super funny. So uh, when I was out in the field, one of my territories was a nursing facility. Mm. And so I had several uh, patients there. And so I loved, I loved the elderly. They have such great stories yeah. and such uh, memories. And, you know, they're, they are our history. So um, I, one of my clients, I loved, loved, loved her. She was deaf as opposed. So she, <laughs> she talked very loud. And she, so we talked very loud in her room. Usually what I would do is see all my patients. And then I would do my charting in her room because she liked to talk. Not, not all of my patients could talk a whole lot. So I, um, but I would um, spend a lot of time in her room because she loved visitors. And she would see me coming in. She would be in her wheelchair at the end of the hall. And she would see me coming in. And she's like, hey, kid. That's what she <laughs> called me all the time. And uh, how, how old were you at this time? Oh, I don't know. I was still, so you, I was you, old. Okay, okay. So like, <laughs> I was okay. not a kid. You weren't a kid. Okay, okay. <laughs> but she was like 98. Gotcha. Yeah, so yeah. maybe I was yeah, a yeah, kid sure, in her yeah, eyes. Yeah, sure. But that's what she called me. And so um, she, her face always lit up when I saw her. And so I, lo- I visited her even if she wasn't on my list for right. the day. But um, one day, it was a hot summer day, and the nursing facility was having ice cream social in the um, dining room. So I took all my patients, and we were sitting at one of the tables all lined up or all around the table, and we were having popsicles. And so um, there was four of us, and I still remember all of them. And one of our ladies was having trouble with her popsicle. She couldn't quite get it um quite figure out she had dementia so she couldn't quite figure out how to put it in her mouth Mm. basically and so my um my patient she was on my left hand side and she was she was the one that like i said she was deaf as opposed 
but and she talked very loud and so everybody heard her so she was like just put it in your mouth (laughs) and she was so loud she was like just put it in your mouth and finally she's like you know like when you have sex just put it in your mouth and so i was like oh my gosh oh my gosh we've got to go so i loaded everybody (laughs) up we went out of the room but she was so funny oh my god she was precious and she said you know she was um when I got married, and this is the same one, and I love, I, lo- I have a picture of her in my office. Oh, wow. And so, um, when I got married, I got married on a cruise, but she- and so I would tell her about it, and she was so worried about my dress getting wet on the cruise, she just couldn't um, get the concept that I was going to be on a boat, not yeah. in the water. Right. And so she was so worried about that. So oh, wow. after it, um, I came up to see her in the nursing facility with my wedding dress on so she could see that it was okay. But it was fun. She has fun, fun times. I loved her. So sweet. So, so sweet. We may have to edit that. I'm not sure. I don't know either. <laughs> I got to figure that out. I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> um, okay. So it, that's what we're doing. Um, we are talking about things that no one wants to talk about. And we appreciate Lori Wendell and her time and what she does for this community. You are awesome. Uh, we're so grateful for what you do and your heartbeat here. It means the world. But I love being here. Cool. Okay. Thanks, y'all. See you next time. I wish I found you. I wish I found you. I wish I found you. I wish I found you.